1981, Reggie Collier became the first player in NCAA history to rush for 1,000 yards and pass for 1,000 yards in a single season. It was a good year for the Eagles, but maybe not for America as a whole. We entered a recession following the Federal Reserve's contradictory monetary policy trying to lower inflation. The unemployment rate was near that of the Great Depression. But there's always more to a story than you might think. Tune into Domino to listen to cascading events that have shaped our global economy. You can listen to Domino anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Season 2 is now available. You are listening to To The Top Talk with Jamie Arrington. Thank you, Jamesy. And Jason Bailey. Bump is uh, pretty good. But the reality is... They don't know, man! I've been looking forward to To The Top Talk. You know, I have that with myself every night. Every day, anything we do is Southern Miss To The Top. What's going on? What's happening? How you guys doing? Welcome to To The Top Talk. I am Jamie Arrington. Jason will be here momentarily with his guest this week. We are here with your break from all of the High Resource 5 propaganda to talk about the University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles. Southern Miss baseball kicks off this weekend. So in that spirit, we have a very special guest today. He is a assistant strength and conditioning coach here at Southern Miss, but he's over baseball and softball. I've heard nothing but good things. Please welcome Jason and our guest today, Todd Makovica. On the line with me now, assistant strength and conditioning coach at Southern Miss. He comes to USM from Stanford University, uh, studied kinesiology at Southern Miss and Missouri State. He's originally from the great state of Ohio. Welcome to the show, Todd Makovica. Thanks for taking the time. What's up, man? Hey, how you doing? Thank you for having me on. No problem. How much did I butcher your your last name right there? You actually you did very very well with it. Uh, I get quite a few bad ones, especially you know people not really caring too much of a name like that down here. But yeah, Makovica, that's how you say it. Cool, one for one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so so how long have you been at Southern Miss? I mean, I know it says there that you that you it looks like you went to Southern Miss and Missouri State, but how long have you been uh, in this neck of the woods? So I actually accepted a graduate assistantship to Southern Miss in January of 2017, from which I was a graduate assistant. And then in November, uh, well, I guess I'd say late November of 2019, I was promoted to full-time. So I'd say about three years and going on a month now that I've been here. And it's been such a culture change, but I have, it's been such a blast being down here. Good food. That's the best part. That is the best part, which is uh, why a middle-aged uh, ex-athlete like me does a, no longer looks like an athlete. Um, but, <laughs> so, so we mentioned some of the other places that you've been. Um, I mean, Stanford, Missouri State. Like you, you've been around a little bit. Uh, how does Southern Miss stack up against those guys? So, I mean, it, to be quite honest, whenever I was at Stanford, one thing I was trying to do is found a way to take my career to the next level. And one of that was through finding a graduate assistantship. In my field of strength and conditioning, it is extremely competitive. So, for instance, my certification, I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist, or a CSCS. And I, I'm going to botch how many people are in it, but I think there's about 20,000, 30,000 people who are certified within it, so quite a few. <laughs> but the actual Division One jobs, is 
so far and few between, and it's even less whenever you're searching out for a graduate assistantship. So whenever you find a school that offers an actual graduate assistantship, which is actually not that many in the Division One FBS or FCS level, it's kind of like a gold mine. And so whenever I was doing my search at Stanford, I mean, I'm not even kidding. I think I sent about 70 to 80 emails to people I knew or didn't know just saying, hey, you know, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm trying to get to. And uh, if you have any, like, if you're interested, let's let's chat and whatnot. And this is from, I interviewed, or I sent out to D1, D2, D3, NAIA. And I actually had nothing bought. But there was one time where I actually sent an email to Zach Woodson, who is now the director of strength conditioning in the zoo. Sure. And at the time, he actually didn't have a graduate assistantship. But uh, through my email to him, we actually just kind of started talking. You know, some of our methodologies kind of lined up a little bit in terms of training and dealing with athletes and people as a general in general. So it just kind of lets a little, you know, just chats on the phone, me picking his brain and whatnot as with him being an up-and-coming strength coach and whatnot. And it was after the day after the Sun Bowl at Stanford University, I really had nothing. So I was kind of like, oh, crap, what am I going to do? The day after, he called me saying that something happened at Southern Miss um, where a GA graduate, they were going to try to keep him on just for like another semester because he currently didn't have anything. But then it didn't work out, and I ended up uh, being able to take his spot. And he, he offered it to me, and I didn't, even, I didn't even blink. I was like, let's do it. Let's ride. And to go back to what I was saying, I did have offers, but there were offers where I was like, yeah, this is cool, but – I mean, I'll take it. I'm going to go, go take it. Like, I had two D2s, one AIA, NAIA, and then one FC, uh, FCS GA offer. But um, this one, I mean, took, took the cake. It was awesome. So, I like, I didn't skip the beat. I said, yes, I want it. When can you have me here? And I think in less than nine days, I was moving to good old Hattiesburg, Mississippi. First time ever being in Mississippi, mind you. So, and then the rest is history. Cool, man. Uh, very cool story. Um, so lay out for the listeners, um, exactly kind of what it is that you do. I mean, I mean, you know, they know that there's a weight program. They know the guys go in there and they lift weights and uh, we're going to get into some of the specifics of all that, but just as, just to the layman out there that has no idea, like, Ooh, they have their own weight coach. How does that work? So can you lay out for them (laughs) just exactly what it is that you do? Oh yeah, no doubt. So plain and simple. My number one task, the main reason that we get hired on, is to provide a professional annual program for whichever athlete is under your umbrella of a solid strength conditioning program of which uh, of which prepares them for their given sport. So we take care of anything regarding the weight room, the conditioning outside, maybe it's like their agility, mobility, things like that. I think one of the biggest things that people kind of get a little misconstrued, which I even did too when I was in high school, is that athletic trainers are completely different from that of a strength conditioning coach, um, just as important, but our actual roles are very, very different in the sense of what we actually do. Our job is to prepare them in the biggest, in the blandest of senses, while athletic trainers are meant there to keep them as healthy as we can or rehab any injuries we're going. And at the end of the day, the athletic trainer and the strength conditioning job do kind of intertwine here and there. You know, I have some guys that come in here that do some specific rehab stuff with me, Whereas on the back end, some people do some extra work with the athletic trainer with baseball. And with one thing I do want to note, 
I think it's one of the most important things to have a solid relationship with your uh, athletic trainer and vice versa, athletic trainer, strength and conditioning coach. Versus with baseball, with me and Sven Pearson, who's the current athletic trainer for baseball only, my uh, relationship with him and his relationship with me has been one of the greatest things that I've ever seen in terms of the relationship between strength coach and athletic trainer that has been done great things for these players. But, yeah, to uh, make a long story short, I get them bigger, faster, stronger, and try and keep them healthy. And I yell a lot. It's fun. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, you know, I, I'm assuming that – I mean, it fascinates me, this field, um, especially you kind of – it sounds like you're at a pretty young age here. But, you know, I guess, like, how did you, how did you get into this field? I mean, I, I assume you were an athlete growing up. And uh, somewhere along the uh, along the way, you just found a niche and you found something that you loved, um, and it took off from there. But uh, is that about how it went? You, you played sports for a while, and then and then just kind of bled over into the uh, into the strength side of it. Right. So really, it's a it's a it's a really odd story. I I like a lot of things, and <laughs> what I mean by that is, whenever I went to college, I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. And going back to your sporting background, I uh, competed in uh, rugby and mixed martial arts, specifically in kickboxing and no-gi jiu-jitsu for eight years. And that's kind of what, like, got me, you know, love in sports in general. But um, actually, fun fact, my first year of college, I was a theater major at uh, Mizzou. Huh. And I loved it. I, I really did enjoy it. But um, I was granted an opportunity to career shadow – the uh, Paul Goodman, who is the current, I, I checked a few weeks ago, I think he's still there too. But at the time, he was the head strength coach for the Chicago Blackhawks hockey organization. And I got to go there, stay there for about two or three days, or I think it was three days, and kind of just watch what he did with it. I got to watch some of the testing, some screens that he does with incoming athletes and whatnot. And right then and there, I fell in love. So when that happened, I actually decided to transfer to Missouri State, which is actually the school of Scott Berry graduated from at his time, whenever he was in college. And uh, I, I, I kind of enjoyed how the program, uh, I liked how the program was online and whatnot. So that's why I wanted to make the move. And then that led me into trying to figure out, all right, I got into a program that I kind of enjoy. Now, how do I get some actual real world experience internships? Mm-hmm. Well, I was working on the local rec center at Missouri state and I uh, just so happened to start speaking to a man named Colin Crane. Now, if anyone is familiar with Mississippi State basketball, they know that name because he is the current strength and conditioning coach for that basketball team right now. He got there, I think, two years ago. And he, through me meeting with him, I got to assist with him with um, men's basketball, men's women's golf, and women's tennis. And then from there, uh, he left for a job at Tennessee Chattanooga, and then another guy came on by the name of Griffin Waller, who is now the current head strength coach at the University of Portland. And he was a graduate assistant at Stanford. And through him, he's the one who brought me to Stanford and from Stanford to here. So really, I found my passion through that career shadow with the Chicago Blackhawks. But uh, it was where luck met opportunity that got me to uh, internship, internship at Missouri State, to Stanford, and it's a year. Wow. Kind of a weird story. Yeah, I, I had a weird path. I wasn't, you know, a big, bad football player. And then through football, my head coach told the strength coach to hire me on, for which I 
stay there for eight years and then just jump schools. I didn't was exactly for that opportunity because I'm five seven, hundred and eighty five pounds. Not the uh, most athletic guy, and I'm definitely not the strongest guy. But uh, I loved my I loved the path that I went down to because it allowed me to meet some extremely extremely smart people and put me up in amazing positions that had kind of really taken my my professional career to the next level. Very good answer. Um, and, and, you know, it's crazy how it, it all kind of just intertwines and works together. It's like six degrees of Todd Mecca or something. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. Yeah. Um, so, weird. My, go ahead. Oh, you go. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, you go. You go. So, well, I was just wondering, and I'm assuming that you're only with baseball. Do you, so, are you strictly with baseball at Southern Miss? I'm actually not. I have baseball, softball, and men's golf. Men's golf. What goes into yep, that workout? Yep, men's golf. What goes into that workout regimen? Well, we usually do quite a bit um, with them. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, how do you train a men's golf team? That's crazy. But at the end of the day, uh, training, you just need to train to be a human being. So that's what I try to do with them. I try to, you know, keep their conditioning up. I try to keep them strong so they don't, you know, get hurt doing something outside of golf or outside the field. In terms of golf, you need to have dissociation of your upper body from your lower body. You have to have strong glutes, a strong core. You have to have high velocity and things like that. So I actually they get out of the weight room. They do a lot of different things from, you know, a baseball team or a football team, but never never think that they're not getting in the weight room because we, we, we grind now. And I've had, they were actually the first team that I had when I got here. Whenever I first uh, – at the Southern Miss, I was with football and men's and women's golf. And then it wasn't until uh, this July that I transitioned to baseball, and then I was given the softball team, and then I got to stick with men's golf. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, you look at these golfers these days. It's it looks it's, it's like golf went through a period of where, like, the fat guy with the plaid shorts and all that, you know, <laughs> was, was just kind of the standard. Um, and now, I mean, yeah. even look at Phil Mickelson these days. He's about to turn 50 years old, and it looks like he's in the best shape of his life. So, I don't know, golf's become cool again. People have kind of started to understand um, that, you know, it helps. And um, and I, I got to think from from a, from a golf perspective, and maybe it bleeds over into baseball, too, as far as swinging stuff. I mean, got to have that back in shape. You got to have, you know, the, the right regimen in place. Um, but getting back to baseball, um, for those that don't know, baseball is not just a spring sport. Uh, these guys work hard, and uh, they work hard year-round. And honestly, when it gets season time, that's probably the easiest part of it, I would imagine. You think? Definitely. Um, I would personally think that there's a little bit more of a nestle barrier within the end season just because of how much they go through. But from a physical development standpoint, especially with me, uh, this stuff that we're doing is absolutely cake to what we did last semester with them. Sure. Before we get into what you have the guys doing for the for the team this year, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on on year round baseball. I have a nephew who plays baseball. He's at Brandon High School right now, um, and early on, uh, he really he loves baseball, which is great. Lives, breathes it, and he's going to be a good, really good player. But you know, as far as the arm issues and and whatnot, uh, it, it it seems to me that that it would affect your arm and. I am of the opinion that playing different sports, I think, helps you um, immensely, just athletically. And just from a from a 
from a strength and conditioning standpoint, um, I mean, does that make any sense? Like, would you rather the guys just focus on one sport and not do anything else and just have to teach them this? Or do you think it's beneficial to play more than one sport? You have no idea how happy I am that you asked me that question. (laughs) Um, you know, whenever you enter college, you obviously, you have once there's very few dual sport athletes, very few. And if they are, they're absolutely genetic freaks and they are in the 0.001% of the population. So don't, include them when I say this. Whenever you're in college, you have found your craft. You have found your skill, and that is whenever you fully develop it. But whenever you're in high school, grade school, and below, I am 100%, 150% against year-round training for, or not training, but year-round practice, competing, everything like that for baseball, but not only baseball, but any sport to that degree. Whenever you're in high school or grade school, you are still entering adolescence. You don't stop entering adolescence until the age of 19. And actually, as we genetically change as human beings, it's even getting later, especially in females. So with that being said, your body's still learning. It's still adapting all the fine motor patterns that are associated with being a human being in general. If you put too much time and energy into one thing, especially baseball, you know, you how many times in a practice do you throw? How many times in a practice do you hit? If you keep doing that year-round, every single day, when you're 12 years old, by the time you're 18, you don't want to have to worry about your kid going to college because he's going to have, you know, two-time job surgeries. Sure. They need to be exposed to a multiple amount of sports and often to fully develop them as a person. I, it, my time as a Division One coach or strength coach, I have seen the most – or I've seen that the healthiest of athletes came from here or came to this program who played more than one sport, who actually, you know, like, were exposed to – different kinds of environmental factors. I mean, if you, I mean, if you think about it, whenever you get to college, even though they're all finally grown up and kind of out of adolescence or preparing to get out of it, they get their fine tuning on the one sport, but then they can't go much longer after college. I mean, your pro season is not long. If you go long, you're considered a God amongst men because of how long you're in the pros. Like you're, you don't have a long career. So if you start that at a young age at 10, 11, 12, it's a recipe for disaster. If you're looking, for instance, if you look at soccer players, AC, I, I wish I could remember the percentage, but if you're curious, the American Academy for Sports Medicine, ACSM, posted an article about a year or two back about the increase of ACL injuries in uh, female soccer athletes, and I think it's up 80% from five years ago or something. It's something wow. like that. It, it's, it's insane. It's incredible. You won't believe how many freshmen I come in here come in here and half of them say, I can't do this because I tore my labrum. I can't do this because I, you know, have a bad back. And you got this from high school? You're 17 years <laughs> old and you have a bad back? What the heck are you going to do for the other 60 years of your life, son? You can't do much. You're already getting that. And part of it is because they are so specific in their sport that it's leading to all these injuries because, you know, you got these parents, you got these coaches who see a kid like, oh, my kid's the best. My kid's the best. No, 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 no. Your freshman in high school child that you have is better than the freshman high school children you have on your team, but they're not the best. They are not the best. It might be better than everyone else on the team, but they're not good enough to specify specify them early, and that they need to be exposed to other factors, other sports and things like that. So that was a little bit of a long-winded question, but that is something I'm very passionate about in terms of just developing children. I know in the future, God willing, I have children. They will definitely be dual-sport athletes or even more. 
Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you for your uh, thoughts on that. I, I, I couldn't agree more, but it's nice to hear it coming from a, uh, a professional in the field. And I will be sure to tell my three-year-old Jack uh, as soon as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I but, uh, yeah, so take me th- – oh, by the way, he's starting soccer. Uh, I think next weekend. <laughs> I don't know oh, what you're supposed you to go. do with three-year-olds on a soccer field, but I'm going to find out because my wife signed me up to be the coach. Awesome. Uh, why not? Oh, there you um, go. Good luck on that. You're great. <laughs> like this, this is the this is the boundary. Don't go that way. But anyway, um, so t- t- take me through uh, take me through the summer and the and the fall. Um, I guess more the fall. Um, and, and what you had the players doing to get ready for the season. I mean, I know that you know baseball is is has a specific um regimen that guys go through and, and all sports do but but to, with you right now with baseball season upon us just what would you have those guys doing to um, to get ready uh to get ready to play in a couple weeks right so to kind of so i'm going to tackle summer really fast i didn't get to see as many people i got to see a lot of alex alex Nelms, a lot of matthew gidry and then a few guys here and there trickled in as we got closer and closer to starting school like uh drew boyd uh, Charlie Fisher, those four were the ones I probably saw a lot over summer. And then I was actually able to see nine of the, I think we have 16, 16 uh, incoming freshmen or transfers. And I got to train them for about solid six weeks. And with them, for the most part, uh, it was kind of like a learning period, you know, where I feel them out, they feel me out. I feel how their body responds to certain stimuluses, and I try to teach them things that I like in the weight room, how I coach, and things like that. So from a perspective like that, the summer, it was more or less of a getting to know one another. Now, going into the actual training over summer, it was the off-season, and this is going to be a little bit of a long question, but I basically boiled down my training methodology to three distinct uh, tenants I follow. I follow uh, something called mindset, movement, recovery. Really simple. But going over the mindset, there's two quotes that I really love. Weak things break and learn to suffer. And that's exactly what they kind of experienced over all season. If you're weak, you'll break. It's as simple as that. And you need to learn to suffer. It's how you grow in life. It's how you grow in sport. It's as simple as that. So I try to train this idea of basically being able to conquer a mental barrier of quitting by putting them in these absolutely crazy situations they're on the silver lining of failing or succeeding. And if they choose to cross the line of success, that's where they're going to grow as a person. If you choose the, you know, the line of failure, that's where you're going to go as a person. So, for an example, I would have to say I would, I would have someone do a front squat. I would tell them the weight they put on, but I wouldn't tell them the reps. And, you know, there were some little other things that they had to follow in terms of technique, tempo, and things like that to keep them safe and healthy. But they would keep on going until I told them to stop. So they would get to these levels, these areas where they're like, holy crap, I need to rack this weight. There's no way I can do another rep. And I'd say, oh, no, 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 no. You keep on going now. You're not done. Keep on going. And there's those little things here and there that we kind of hammered into them to conquer this idea they are far more capable than what they've ever thought imaginable. And I know that sounds like a little hogwash just because it's lifting weights. It's just lifting weights, right? But the transition of their mentality of, they weren't really scared or timid, but almost slightly doubtful just because of what some people have been saying because of us losing a lot of great players, but a little bit doubtful, doubtful, a little bit, you know, not just, you know, nervous about how, what was going to go on with the season. This level of confidence, intensity, enthusiasm that sprouted out of this team within a matter of weeks was incredible from this little mindset that we tried to instill in them. And then on top of that, 
I'm not only a strength coach. You know, I told you the you know plain and simple what a strength coach does, but there's so many hats I wear. I'm the therapist. I'm the janitor, and I am the strength coach, and I'm also a life coach. I try to teach them to be ready for life. Coach Barry talks about all the time about how everything matters, about how you present yourself in practice, weight room, school, outside is where people are going to view you as and how you're going to turn as a person. So I just try to, you know, there's a few things that Coach Barry is huge on that I love too, and I brought into the weight room myself. Some of being would be, some things would be attention to detail. You know, if you come to my weight room, it's always clean. A place are always up. Nothing looks like it's out of place. It's beautiful. It's like coming into a, you know, newly cleaned room from your mama. It's awesome. <laughs> the other thing is direct eye contact. If I'm talking, they are not looking anywhere. It's a dead in my eyes. They're not looking at my feet. They're not looking at my shirt. They're not looking at their feet. They're looking at my eyes. And that's how I try And that's what they do now at practice and whatnot. They are fully focused. And I'm proud to that. The biggest one, in my opinion, is a firm handshake. You know, the handshake. That's a big thing. That, that, instill, that shows you who you are as a man. Are you a man that's confident and ready to go in and tackle maybe that interview you have for a job? Or are you going to give a dead fish handshake because you're so scared and you don't know what's going to go on? You know, I have, a, I have really small hands. The, co- or the players, they always get on me for the really small hands. So if I go in there with a dead fish, no one's going to take me seriously. I got to squeeze that bad boy. And then some little things here and there, you know, when I talk and I ask them a question, I get a yes, sir, or no, sir, or I don't understand the question because I'm sure if you're understanding, seeing it right now, I talk really, really, really fast, and I start to mumble a little bit. By the way, you could cut me off if I start to do that. But <laughs> those little things like that, we just try to give them the sense of respect and loyalty for one another and carry themselves with this sense of professionalism with everywhere they go. And that's one of the biggest things that we do from the mindset part. Now, the movement, that's my main goal. You know, strength and conditioning. I'm trying to fully develop them into the best physical specimen that they can be for baseball. And I like to think that my training methodology, it's a blend of, you know, a blue-collar work ethic of just true, hard, you know, unadulterated grit that really gets you grinding in the weight room that's expected of a city in the south like Hattiesburg, blended with some newly discovered training techniques that are kind of scientifically based from certain kinds of you know, articles and reviews that I've read in the past that I've kind of, you know, branched off into my own. So one of the things you look at baseball, irregardless of how you look at it, baseball is a highly power-based sport. It's trained in the system that's called the alactic system or also known as the phosphagen system. And all that means is you need to display a high level amount of force often and fast. But it's not something where with football or soccer where there's a lot of running, things like there is, don't don't mind you that there isn't, but there's not near to the pedigree of other sports. So uh, we do a lot of stuff that's related to developing their power. If you look at the the equation, the equation for power, it is force over displacement over time. And that's just a fancy saying for velocity. So if I train force and force is just, you know, how much, how much, how much force you can develop. And that is just strength. So if I develop strength, which I do in the weight room, adding weight on the bark and a little bit stronger here and there, and then I add velocity from which I do a lot of stuff outside in terms of dynamic movements with sprints, plyometrics, med ball throws, jumps, things of that nature, you have, an, you have a recipe for increasing the physical qualities required for baseball itself. Now, with that being said, that boils down to kind of like how you select what kind of exercises you, you like. You know, a big thing of strength and conditioning is this, which exercise is better, this one or that one. I'm not really a guy who hates on one specific exercise. I think all exercises, all movements that you can do will benefit anyone, anytime. 
It's just how you do it and how you implement it. But from what I've read in terms of literature itself, I'm looking for peak velocity and rate of force development. And what I have found personally from my anecdotal evidence of just watching and making people do it and from what I've read in literature itself, movements such as, you know, a squat, sumo deadlift, something that you have to really, really put a high level intent into the um, into the bar to move it is what actually increases rate of force development, which gets you stronger. So one, the three big ones that we love is the front squat, the sumo deadlift, and the uh, dumbbell bench, as well as some other back exercises like a pull-up, row, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of velocity, we just do a bunch of sprinting, and we do a lot of jumping and a lot of med ball throws. And then with that intercorrelated, we kind of train in three different – we train in all three planes of motion. You got a sagittal, which is basically in front and behind you, frontal, left and right, and transverse plane, which is kind of rotational. And I try to have it all symmetrically and balanced that while we are increasing all these – um, factors of the baseball player, we're keeping them healthy. We're not getting too, you know, overly compensated on one part of the body. You know, some people like to do, you know, train all the front of the body, all the quads, the abs, chest, things like that, and they neglect, you know, the back, the hamstrings, the glutes. Everything is symmetrical. And with that being said, with our increase in performance, you want to have a proper balance of training, you know, things such as mobility, stability, activation of some of the foundational movement patterns associated with that of a baseball player. So if you look at my training, if I were to give you a training sheet and you, I showed you what they did in the weight room, there's about 15 movements on there, 15 exercises that they do in an hour. We do it fast. I'll go over that here and later. But the actual movements that have a load on it or weighted, like there's actual weight on the bar, there's only three, maybe four a day. But it's the things that are on the back end of it, you know, a lot of mobility work, stability work, core work, that kind of keeps them everything in balance. So we use a lot of, you know, the weighted movements to get them incre- increase their performance, and then we do everything on the back end to keep them healthy. And I like to think that I have a one-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-one ratio to the mobility, stability, activation, and actual strength work of which that we do. And then on top of that, so I've kind of can't tackle the velocity and the the force part. A lot of a lot of people ask me like, oh, what do you do for conditioning with baseball, or or like how much running you do and things like that. And plain mm-hmm. and simple, I do the exact opposite of whatever they're doing at practice. So right now they're practicing a lot. Right now they're doing a lot of stuff outside. I don't make them do any condition, not a single thing. But say that they have absolutely no baseball going on, we'll do maybe one or two days outside of conditioning. But the volume is a volume or yes, total yards traveled outside is a lot lower than one would expect. Like I would say in total outside on a week that they are not practicing at all, they covered maybe 1,600 yards total of just some tempo runs. So you would run 60 to 100 yards for a certain amount of reps, and you got to get here in a certain amount of time. And the reason being is I just simply don't think it's needed for a baseball player. I don't think they need it. And on top of that, if you look at my weight room, and as we train in the weight room, I think, without a doubt, we are one of the hardest training baseball teams in this conference, if not country. And I'm not afraid to say that on a public podcast at all. When we get in the weight room, it is it is slightly volatile, it is intense, and it is crazy, crazy, crazy loud. We get at in here. And by that, we do something that I like to call 
density training. And it's a sense that you basically just train with a little bit less rest than what other people would, you know, typically give in a strength session. And what that allows us to do is build up our work capacity without getting all these extra reps outside on the volume of running. And then you lead to all these lower body overuse injuries like pulled hamstrings or maybe um, like sprained ankles and things like that. By getting this on the back end of the weight room with our density training, it allows us to basically train all the biomotor abilities associated with that of a human being. So that's kind of one of the, the, the big thing in terms of the movement of the weight room. And I know that's a lot. But on top of that, my my third and final tendon is recovery. And it's plain simple. It's just keeping them healthy. So I like to think of it the weight room kind of, or what I do in kind of in terms of the Marines, not near as intense, not near as crazy, because, I, I mean, it's sport, it's safe, you're going to die. But um, I, like to think, I like to think that you, we break them down in here just to build them back up. You know, the weight room, training hard, you don't get better from training hard, not at all, you get worse. You know, whenever you, you train hard in this weight room, your adrenal glands fail, muscles literally tear, your nervous system gets shot, things like that, you get tired, you get groggy, things like that happen, you get tight things like that. But what you do outside of the weight room is what's going to dictate how you get better. So we do an extensive amount of stuff of trying to properly teach them about proper sleep, hydration, and food. I can't for I can't I can force them to train. I can't force them to sleep, drink water, any food. Well a little bit I can't. But for the most part I can't. So we uh kind of took our took a quite a lot of time last semester trying to really instill in the mindset of what they need to do to properly recover from the hard training sessions. Now, I'm going to let you know the biggest one that we did, the biggest one was the amount of calories that they eat. I think in this field right now, especially all those frou-frou nutritionists on Instagram, people get way too carried away about these bad diets. They get carried away with eat this, not that. And what it's doing is making people under-eat, especially that in athletics, and it's making them underperform and get hurt. I don't care what anyone says. At the end of the day, the most important thing is the amount of calories you eat. If you do a lot of physical activity, which you do if you're a college athlete, you need a lot of calories. And then if you can tackle the a lot of calories, that's when you can get really specific on your proper macronutrients, your micronutrients, things like that. Are you getting enough carbs, fats, proteins, these vitamins and minerals and things like that? That stuff is important. It's extremely important. But if you can't tackle how much food you need in a day, you don't need to worry about that. I like to kind of make it a note, you know, I had an athlete ask me a few days ago about a uh, documentary. Oh, crap. I can't remember the name of it. Um, it was a documentary about vegan diets. And one of the things that I told him was, you know, you're someone who needs to eat about 4,000 calories just to stay at 200 pounds. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't weigh that much weight, but you need to eat a boatload of food just because you're doing so much work. Well, you can't eat 4,000 calories just eating veggies and fruit shakes. You just can't. It's physically impossible. You might feel healthy, but you do not have enough calories to stay healthy for your sport. If you get hurt in your sport, you're going to hurt your personal body in the long run, and it could affect you for the rest of your life. So one of the big things that we do on the recovery side is just try to instill their mindset of eating a lot of food. And we actually took up a quote as a team, and it's uh, house food. So you're not only eating you know, your plate, you're not only eating the fridge, you're not only in the pantry, you're eating every single piece of food in your house. So... <laughs> That's kind of one of the things with the, uh, uh, with the recovery part. And then on top of that, I know I said that was one of the biggest things, but actually one of the bigger things in recovery is I've been teaching them is time management. So I have no training sessions, and I've made a note to not have any training sessions 
after practice. So that's basically after 4 p.m. I do not condone that at all with baseball, really any training group. The reason being at that point, you're so shocked from just your daily living days of school and practice and things like that. I won't gain anything out of you and I'll just do more harm than good. There's a point of diminishing returns. But one of the things that I try to teach them is this idea of being able to manage your time. So you know when you're training, you're training before this time, you got practices at this time. So you have the whole evening, you have, you know, five to six hours, how long you stay up to take care of school, to take care of relationships, to take care of family, to just relax your mind. I think a lot of strength coaches, you know, they want to do this more is better kind of deal. And more is not always better. We only train three days a week during the off season. And it is absolutely insane of how strong they got. And to mm-hmm. talk about my program, I didn't care about the weight on my bar. The weight came on naturally. It wasn't like, I, I don't care what you're doing. You're putting 400 on that bar next week. It came naturally. Felt good. We're going on. Did it feel good? That's fine. It's not going on. And how strong they got is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. While staying healthy, mind you. So one of those biggest things is being able to manage everything. Because if you're, you know, say you have a bad relationship with your friends or maybe a girlfriend, if you have one, that can bring everything down to a screeching hole. Maybe you have a family, you know, issue going on, screeching hole. Maybe your schoolwork is absolute crap. That can screw up everything. That can make you leave college. And one of the things that I'm pretty proud on is, you know, by giving them all these evenings of time, our team GPA was absolutely amazing last semester. I can't, I can't remember the exact one, but it was, or the exact number. So I'm not going to say it to Bashi, but I'm sure you can look it up somewhere. But it was amazing, and I 100% think it was because we were able to give them that time in the evening to take care of what they needed to take care of. And um, yeah, that's. I, I know that's a lot, but uh, I, I guess in, in short, that's or not in short and long, that's kind of how we do it all. Yeah, no, it's that's extremely interesting, and um, I, I consider I could listen to that all day. It's, it's getting me pumped up. I was about to go out for drinks, but I think I might get on the treadmill a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so in 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 the middle of that, you mentioned the weight room, and and how is that weight room? I've never been to it. Uh, I've talked to a buddy of mine um, who uh, I think he did some work in there, but. Um, and I think didn't uh, didn't Brian Dozier have a lot to do with 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 getting that facility uh, completed? I believe so. I I don't know enough about how did uh, how that actually came about to get it finished. That it, the weight room was built, I think a year or two years prior to me getting here. But what I can tell you about the weight room is that it was 100% through donations. So if it wasn't for the people who support US on baseball, I wouldn't have a job. This, this weight room wouldn't exist, but the weight room is beautiful. It is, uh, you know, I have everything I need. I have two sets of dumbbells that work up to 100 pounds. Well, actually, we got strong, too strong, so now we need more dumbbells. Coach Barry, I hope you're listening. And then we got, uh, we got five power racks, two bars on it, and then plethora of weights with it. And we have plenty of space. And the best part, the best part is no other team trains in here, so I can pick whenever they lift at any given time of day, and that makes the world. And the best part, too, or the other best part, there's a lot of best parts when I talk, <laughs> but um, the best part, too, is that it's right next to the field. So if we need to do field work outside, we can go right to there. Say someone gets built in bullpens, they could come right in and get their lift in, or vice versa, come in before I get the lift in. It just allows a lot of versatility with my programming and allows me to really be free with how we distribute our workouts through everyone. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I really uh, need to get down there and, and take a peek at it. Um, open open the, house, man. 
Stop right cool. in. Cool. Uh, hey, hey, I'll definitely take you up on that. Um, so, 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 what's the verdict? I mean, what, what grade would you give the overall offseason for this year's squad? It's, it sounds like it went pretty good. I'm going to give this an A plus, but one one hundred percent. And I'm not just like the, the players will tell you if you ever if you ever talk to them. I I I, I don't lie. One hundred percent A plus. How the season will go, I don't know because I don't have you know kind of like Coach Bear was talking in the. Uh, or Coach Bear was talking at our banquet, we don't have, you know, a magic orb that tells us the future. I can't say we're going to do good and do terrible, or I can't say we're going to do terrible and do good. But what I can tell you, I promise you this, if you guys go out there and watch a game, you are going to be watching a team that will not give up. You're going to watch a team that is not playing for themselves. They're playing for each other. They're playing for the school, and they're playing for the community. Matthew Gidry, who's one of the team captains, you know, he made a comment, uh, I said midway through mid, uh, midway through the offseason, and he said one of the greatest things that you've seen the transition of with this team in the offseason, and there's no egos. There's no egos. So no one's just saying, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care. I just want my staff, though. There's none of that. Everyone has one goal in mind, and we're all working to that one goal, and you know what it is. And, again, I, I am so happy with how it turned out. This is a team that did not let up on anything from, what was it, I gave them in the weight room or to baseball. Coach Barry even said himself in, in his 19 years as a head coach, he has never seen a harder working baseball team come out of here. And this is my first baseball team I've actually worked with. And I can tell you one thing that this is definitely one of the hardest working teams I've ever seen, period. I gave them some crazy things while then practicing baseball. And the fact that they came out of there alive and ready for more is insane. It's a testament to them. Absolute testament to them. I didn't do anything. I just told them to lift weights, and I told them to keep on going and stop being soft, and they just went. They went crazy. So, again, whenever you guys watch this team, just know that this is a team that literally, not figuratively, bled, sweated, and cried in this weight room and on that field for whatever we're about to do this season. This is not a soft team. This is not a team that is going to succumb to pressure. This is a team that's going to fight through it all, the good and the bad. I promise you that. That is awesome stuff, man. It's so great to hear, especially right here before the season. At least as of this recording, we're uh, whatever about well about two weeks away, uh, about two weeks away from the yep. beginning of the season. Um, it's almost here, man. It's one of the, it's one of my favorite things to do every year. I'll be out in that right field roost, uh, getting after it. Um, I can't wait to see that new turf out there. Um, and and I really appreciate all your thoughts on all this stuff, man. Uh, I'm gonna get you out of here on this, but do you have do you have any final thoughts for the Golden Eagle faithful out there? Uh, come out to a game. Come Absolutely. If you, if you, there's if nothing you, like it. There, there's nothing like it. If anybody's listening that, had, that has not been out to the Pete. No doubt. And you got to come out to a new field. Yeah, it's it's one it's one of the greatest uh, baseball, not really baseball. I think just kind of sporting events. Um, I mean, from the from the midweek games to the Sunday afternoon, you know, sitting down that right field line, drinking a cold beer. Um, it's fantastic. It's awesome. These guys sound like they're going to be, you know ready to absolutely get after it with with guys like todd leading the way and man thank you again so much uh you guys uh listeners can follow todd on instagram he's at todd mac 636 that's t-o-d-d-m-a-k 636 man thanks so much again and uh southern miss go top that was todd mcavicker Hope you guys enjoyed it. Go out to the baseball games this weekend. Go out to the basketball game on Saturday. Softball, 
a lot going on right now as well. Women's basketball will be back home the next week. So a lot of a lot of good things going on here at Southern Miss. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, Southern Miss to the top.